You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. If you want to go to Matthew chapter 7, would love to meet you there. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount together this summer, just looking at the words of Jesus, His famous sermon. We've been calling our series The Greatest Sermon because it's the most famous of Jesus' sermons, of His teachings, and it's just packed full of Jesus' understanding of what the kingdom is, what it looks like to be in the kingdom. It's just, it has a little bit of everything in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I at times feel the heaviness, the weightiness of the world, of life. I, I get discouraged sometimes. Do any of you go through seasons of discouragement? Is that just me? You look at the world, you get discouraged. You look at your job, you get discouraged. You sometimes look at the, the condition of your family. You look at your own spiritual life. And it's just easy to get discouraged. Uh, I know that I spend more time than I'd like to admit feeling discouraged about things. And I think that you can, often you bring that discouragement with you. You you come into church, you put on a happy face, you say that your week was good when maybe it really wasn't that good, and, uh, and there's a lot of things weighing on you. And then you come in and you come to the Sermon on the Mount, and it just feels like Jesus lays even more burdens on you. It feels like the Sermon on the Mount just weighs even heavier, because he says things like, your righteousness must exceed the scribes and the Pharisees, and you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. In chapter 5, talks about the Beatitudes and the attitudes that you're supposed to have, the values that you're supposed to have. And, oh, and by the way, you're going to be persecuted for those things. And you're meant to be salt and light. And if you're not salt and light, then you'll be taken away. Um, don't have anger. Don't be lustful. Don't make false oaths. Um, don't retaliate. Love your enemies. Oh, and when you give, give like this, but not like this. And when you pray, pray like this and not like this. And, uh, and when you fast, fast like this. And don't be anxious and seek the kingdom. And don't judge. And when you do judge, don't throw your pearls before swine. Like you just go through it and it's just like, oh man, the kingdom sounds wonderful and I can't do it. Like I can't do it, right? I can't do this kingdom thing. I don't know that I measure up. And so we have this tension that we feel with, I think, the Sermon on the Mount where we feel this, I really want to be part of that. I would love to live in a world where people aren't driven by anger, where there isn't lust, and where people keep their promises, where there is a forgiving spirit. And, and, but yet I look at my own life and I go, I don't have the strength to muster all that. I don't have the strength to be able to do all this. And so it, it's almost like I think Jesus maybe senses that as he's getting towards the end of the body of his sermon and starts moving into conclusion. I think he probably feels that. I think he probably senses that in the crowd. And, and I think which has some of the sweetest words in maybe all of the Bible for us here. As he, as he tells us just how glorious the kingdom is. And to be in the kingdom is to live this certain way. And yet at the same time to feel like I don't measure up. I feel poor in spirit, which is exactly how the sermon started, which is exactly where I think Jesus wants to drive us to, is this sense of that's glorious, I want it, and yet I know I don't qualify. I know I don't have the strength to do this. So Jesus, could you boil this down for me? Could, could you tell me where I can get the power to live this kind of kingdom life? Jesus, can you tell me where I might be able to be transformed or where I might find the strength to live this glorious but high calling? What would be the simplest way, Jesus, that you could say and summarize what being part of the kingdom is like? And Jesus gives us exactly that in Matthew 7, 7 through 12. So if you're coming in today and you're feeling a bit discouraged and maybe even feeling discouraged about some of the things you read from Jesus, I think you're going to find incredible sweetness and grace from him because he wants you to get it. He wants you to get it. So the title of our message is The Source and Substance of the Kingdom Life. If you try to live the Sermon on the Mount in your own strength, it won't work and people will get hurt. It doesn't work in our own strength. This isn't a ladder that humans can climb in their own strength. We need a different source than ourselves to do the Sermon on the Mount. And I think that's part of the point of the Sermon on the Mount is to bring us to that point where I need a source outside of myself. I need a supernatural source if I'm going to lead a supernatural life. I can't do this in the flesh. I can't do this on my own. 
I remember early on when I was first starting to drive, I'd fill up the car at the gas station, and there was this one time I was like, you know what, I've never used the green pump before. I should try the green pump. I always go for the black pump. I never go for the green pump. You've done that? Like, I should try the green pump. You should be fair, right? Like, okay. Fortunately, the green pump has a little wider deal and doesn't go into your gas tank, and then it dawned on me. But can you imagine if I'd have used, yeah, just green, black, doesn't matter. Spread it out. Don't play favorites. And uh, if I'd have put that in my car, I'd have ruined my car, right? I think the same thing is true, is that if we don't have the right power source in our kingdom life, if we're trying to do it in the flesh, we'll ruin things. We'll, We'll get it wrong. We'll become Pharisees. We'll either become discouraged because we can't do it, or we become prideful because we'll think in our own strength we can do it. And so we need a source. All of this life that Jesus is describing, where does it come from? Where is the source of power for living this transformed life that defeats anger and lives the Beatitudes and lives a truthful life and has the right motives? That's got to come from something outside of me. And here in Matthew 7, 7 through 12, we get both the source and the substance of kingdom life. What's the root and what's the fruit? Okay? And let me just read it for you. I think you'll probably pick it up. Now that I've framed it that way, it'll probably be pretty obvious to you. And we'll just walk through what's really obvious here. So remember, this is in the context of Jesus giving a lot of descriptions about what the kingdom life is like and what it's not. And it's, it's weighty. It's glorious, but it's weighty. And then he gets to this point as he gets to the end of his sermon, Matthew 7, 7 through 12. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. For which of one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is in, will your Father who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask Him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So Jesus, after giving all of this high calling language, I think maybe sensing in the crowd, maybe sensing even in our own hearts, goes, let me tell you where you get that. Come to your Father and ask for it. There's, I think, often been a misunderstanding in this passage that this is sort of like a blank check. Like we rip this passage out of context and whatever I ask, I get. Whatever I seek, I find. Whatever I knock, the door will be opened. This is in the context of kingdom stuff. He's he's laying this out in terms of kingdom. Like, I want to be poor in spirit. I want to be a forgiver. I want to overcome my lust. I want to overcome my anger. And I can't do it of myself. And Jesus goes, that's okay. That's the point. Come to your Father and He'll give it to you. The kingdom is a gift. It's not something you earn or qualify for. It's something I give to you and it changes you. It's not a blank check. So don't use this passage to to just justify praying whatever sinful things you might want to pray for or maybe not even sinful things, but just worldly things. This is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. This is looking at the Sermon on the Mount, feeling overwhelmed by it, and going, these are gifts I give you, not things that you achieve. So we see that the source of the kingdom life is our good Father in heaven. He's the energy. He's the fuel that makes these things happen. He calls us to ask, presuming that we don't have it, right? Ask because you don't have it in yourself to live the kingdom life, but I'll give it to you. Seek because you wouldn't find the kingdom on your own. But I'll help you find it. Knock because you're naturally on the outside of the kingdom. But if you knock, I'll let you in. Do you see the sweetness of this? Of your dependence and his sufficiency. So we have what I think is, is, is probably going back a little bit to the Lord's Prayer where there's this call of total dependence on God. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. We need God for provision. We need God for pardon. We need God for protection. Like everything, every day. We pray every day because we don't have it in and of ourselves to live the kingdom life. To even live our physical life, we're dependent on God. And so this is, I think, a return. I think ask, seek, knock is is a call to live by prayer. And so these are commands. Ask, seek, knock are commands. And it's a command to live by prayer together. I think this is probably on the slide there. 
if we were just to boil down a few things from this section, is it's a call to live by prayer together. Some have described prayer like breathing. It's hard to live without breathing. We're breathing. We're breathing out our prayers to God. We're, li- we're coming to Him daily. Kingdom living is not about your own planning and self-discipline and management. You might have the best schedule. You might have the best budget. You might be the most disciplined person in the room. You can't live the kingdom life by your own planning or self-discipline. You have to do it by the grace of God that He gives. So there's this call to live by prayer together like we saw in the Lord's Prayer. This doesn't mean that there's no effort as if we're passive because all of these, ask, seek, knock, are very active, but we're not earning. We're not earning our standing in the kingdom. We're not earning these things in and of ourselves. We are seeking Him in prayer. We are asking, seeking, knocking. These are very active, but they're not earning. We know that our, we live by prayer. We live by the grace of God. And there are certain things that God only gives when we ask. In fact, we're going to look at a passage here in just a little bit from James chapter 4 saying, you have not because you ask not. There are certain gifts that come only to those who pray. The reason I put together in there, command to live by prayer together, is that all of the yous in here are plural. Everything here is y'all, or all y'all. I heard that that's actually different, like in the South, like y'all, when it might be a smaller group, all y'all is a big group, all right? So we got it? We got it. Good. I'm glad I got an amen. I got an amen. Okay, good. So all the yous here are plural. They're all y'all. Like, y'all pray this together. You ask together. You seek together. You knock together. So, sorry, introverts, (laughs) it's not primarily something you can just do by yourself. It is something that we do together. This is is the kind of thing that God gives together. This is something we do individually, but it's not only individually, and even maybe not even primarily individually. Y'all ask, and I'll give it to y'all. All All y'all seek, and I'll give it to you. I'm going to always press that every time we get there to the communal nature of the people of God. Because we, if you just lined up all the people from human history and lined them up from, and put them on a spectrum of most individualistic to most communal, Americans are by far the most individualistic, self-reliant people that have ever lived. And then you take a bunch of people from South Dakota, who might be some of the most self-reliant, individualistic people in the most individualistic, self-reliant country ever to exist, right? Maybe Texas. Maybe Texas would beat us out on that. And so we need to remember that, that, that our natural disposition, which has so many good benefits to it, can in times hinder us in our walk with God when we forget that so much of the Christian life is meant to be done communally and not separately. And so we should see that here, that Jesus is calling this crowd, his disciples, to go ask together, live by prayer together. The, communi- the, the kingdom life is a communal dependence upon God, our Father, for everything. We saw that in the Lord's Prayer, that it's our Father, not my Father, it's our Father. We're meant to come to him together. So we see in this passage a command to live by prayer together. So if you're feeling discouraged, you want the kingdom life, the Father says, hey, come here and bring your brothers and sisters with you. I will give you the kingdom. I will give you everything you need. I will supply you with everything. Every area you're falling short, I will give you grace for that. Every temptation, every challenge, I will give you grace for that. The reason why is it's a command to trust the character of God. You have a father who knows everything, who has everything, and is disposed kindly towards you in Christ. He's got what you need but don't have. You, by nature, are needy and dependent. He, by nature, is self-sufficient, self-reliant. You have neediness and inability. He has surplus and omnipotence. And he guarantees that if you keep on asking, you keep on seeking, you keep on knocking, the word everyone who comes to me in this posture through Christ receives. And the idea is this is an ongoing thing. The way that these words work in the Greek is ask and keep on asking. It's not a one-time thing. It's now you become an asker by nature. Seek and keep on seeking. You're now a seeker by nature. Knock and keep on knocking. You're a knocker by nature. Like you just continually pursue God. Whether you always get the answers that you want, whether you always get it exactly the way you want, you are by nature now someone who goes to your Father constantly. So these are commands that are not just one-time things. They're continual things. That you're now an asker. You're now a seeker. You're now a knocker. And also you will now be a receiver. Now and on into eternity. You will receive 
all of the good kingdom rewards, you will receive them in time. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, because your Father is good. That's what it says, right? I mean, it says, here's why. Two reasons why you should keep asking, seeking, knocking. One is that you'll, you'll get what you ask for, you'll, you'll find what you're seeking, the door will be open that you knock on, I, I'm good for it, God says. And then he goes into this story of like, well, let's just think about fathers and sons for a moment. He said, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Your kid's hungry, and you play this nasty trick on him, right? Like, I want some toast, and you're like, ha ha, you have to eat a rock. Well, that's awful, right? Especially if that's like, like how you live. Like, he keeps asking for bread, you keep giving him rocks. Like, you don't even do that. Or ask for a fish, you give him a snake, something that will hurt him. He says, if you then who are evil, which just assumes that all of us are evil by nature, if you're evil and even you don't do that, imagine what a God who, what a father who has no evil in him, how good he would be, right? I mean, even evil, sinful kids and evil, sinful fathers in this world still somehow... Somehow, the human race continues to go forward, right? Still, you guys have enough good in you that you don't feed your kids rocks and give them snakes, right? Like, even in this fallen, sinful world, there's some measure of goodness between fathers and kids that the human race at least still exists. But imagine there's a father who is completely pure, who has unlimited resources. If you being evil even occasionally do these, know how to get, give good gifts, like that's intuitive to you, that's, you have a desire to do that, even in your evil hearts, you have that, at least that much in you. Imagine a God who's so good, and He's in heaven, He has all the resources, He knows everything, and so the, the real reason why we don't come to God asking, seeking, and knocking, why we don't live by prayer, is to some extent we have a distorted view of God. We have a distorted view of God. We somehow don't think he's that good, or that maybe we could do this on our own. The real reason we don't go to him in this way is because of a flaw in us, not in him. If you remember back in the garden, the temptation was, you will not surely die. Like you, God's holding out on you. God's not really good. If he was, he would never tell you no. And so ever since the first temptation, we have had this inclination in our hearts that we can't go to God for things, that he won't give us good gifts. And he's going, no, 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 when you enter the kingdom, you reject the lie of the serpent that's been whispering in every human's ears ever since. You reject that lie and go, no, I go to my father. I go to him. I ask him. I seek him. I knock on his door. And he gives good gifts to his children. That was the temptation that Eve had, was that God won't give you good gifts. He's holding out on you. So you need to rebel against him, and you go do this on your own. He goes, no, this is an invitation to reject that lie that has gotten, that has so corrupted the world, that has so corrupted every human being. Reject that. Come to Christ. Come to your Father who's good. Imagine how exact, how perfect, how satisfying, how sustaining his provision, how satisfying his gifts are. God knows how to give good gifts to those who ask Him. He's really good at giving gifts. He's really thoughtful. He's really imaginative. He knows your needs. He knows your future. He knows your past. He knows exactly how to give the exact right gift at exactly the right time. So we go to Him. We ask Him, trusting that He knows maybe even better than we do what we need. Paul picks this up in Romans. He says in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, if He's our Father, then who can be against us? If, like, if that's your dad, I don't know if you remember as a kid, my dad could beat up your dad. <clears throat> I never took that bet because my dad's super nice. I don't think he'd beat up anyone, so I never played that game. And maybe he could, but uh, I, I never played that game. But like, this sense of like, when God's your daddy, like, who, can, who, can, who can take him on? Like, if you're protected and provided and satisfied and sustained by God, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If He did not even spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also graciously give us all things? He's going to give us the whole kingdom. Every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians 1 tells us. And so, we go to Him seeking, asking, knocking. One, because we'll get what we receive. We do that together. 
But ultimately, that's because of who our dad is, who our father is, who God is in Christ. He's generous. He's good. He knows exactly what to give. There's no evil in him. There's no trickery. There's no cruel jokes. There's no turnarounds. He's not going to leave. He's not going to abandon. He's not going to run away. He's not going to withhold. And in this also, we have a command to persevere to the end. Again, like I said, it's ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. These are gifts that are given, but they are given to those who persevere. They're given to those who persevere. Persistence is required. If you look at, the, if you look at Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where Jesus is walking among the churches, giving some evaluation, at the end of every single one of them, he says, to the one who endures, to the one who perseveres, I will give the tree of life. I will give the crown of life. I will give... And he just lists all of these blessings that he's going to give to those who persevere. And so this is a living a life by prayer and a call to keep living that way, living by his grace, not trying to do the kingdom life in your own flesh, in your own self-management, in your own budgeting, in your own whatever. Those aren't necessarily bad things, but don't trust those things. You live the kingdom life by going to your father every day for what you need and just increasingly going after that. Luke chapter 11 records the same story, but actually Luke arranges the material in that he puts it right next to the Lord's prayer. That's why we, that's why, that's what kind of ties this to prayer. And I'll just read it for you. I don't think it's on the screen, but if you, if you have a Bible, you can flip over to Luke 11 or you can just listen. Here's Luke's account of the same teaching. And there's a couple other pieces that are unique from the Matthew account. I think Jesus taught this more than one time. And so, uh, so when we see things in the Gospels where it's not exactly word-for-word word match, it could be that the author is arranging material in such a way to, to, to kind of leverage his point. They don't always feel, the, the Gospel writers don't always feel like they need to go chronologically, and that's okay. Sometimes they go thematically. Other times, I think Jesus just teaches the same thing. Sometimes he's with different people, and he needs to teach them how to pray too. So Luke chapter 11 is one of those places. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and he finished One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For another friend of mine has arrived from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are now with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is your friend, yet because of your imprudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. (laughs) So, he will just love to get you out of the way. Like, friendship only goes so far. But when you're being an irritation, maybe, (laughs) right? So this sense of persistence is the idea. I tell you, though he will not get up and uh, he will not give up and give him anything because he is this friend, um, because of his imprudence or his persistence, he will rise and give him what he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened What father among you, if he asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? And if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Oh, that's that's amazing. The father will give the third person of the Trinity to you to help you. You have needs. You feel discouraged. You're running into barriers. You want to live this kingdom life and it's hard. There's persecution. There's difficulty. You feel discouraged. You fail. You come to him with persistence, with persistence and persevere and he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I will empower you from the inside. I won't give you diesel fuel. I'll give you gasoline. I'll give you the real stuff that you really need that helps you live this kingdom life. And so we put these together. This is what the spirit-filled life looks like. This is what the kingdom-filled life looks like is it's sourced in God. It's powered by God. We go to him. This is a gift that he gives us. This is something he produces within us. And so through Christ, we come to him. And he gives us himself as a father. He gives us his son as a sacrifice. 
and he gives his spirit as a helper. Oh, ask, seek, knock. You can't do this on your own. But he will give you it all if you'll come to him. So the big question then is, is God your father through faith in Jesus Christ? Is he your father through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you come to him admitting that you can't do it? I'm a sinner. I deserve to be on the outside. I deserve no good thing from you. I deserve your wrath. But because you offered your son for me, I confess my sins. I ask for your forgiveness. I seek your kingdom. I knock on the door of heaven. Come on in. You trust in Christ. I will be your father. And this will be your life now forever, is coming to me and getting good gifts from me. Asking, seeking, knocking. This is your identity now. It's one who is going to be sustained and satisfied by a father. You don't have to do it yourself anymore. You don't have to make it up. You're forgiven, and now you're empowered to live a Christian kingdom life. Second big question then is, will you be dependent? Will you live by dependent prayer together with other believers? Will you live this way? Come to Christ, be committed to a body of believers, and live in dependent prayer on His grace. James 4, 1 through 4. I told you we'd get there, but here's what it says. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? What pulls you apart? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not see because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So you have these needs in you and you're trying to do it yourself. You're not going to God in prayer. You're trying to do it yourself. Then you try to get from people what you only should be getting from God. And it tears everything apart, right? But if all of a sudden I have this need and I go to God for the source, now I have something to love my brothers with, right? I have supernatural power. So we've got two ways that we can try to live. We can try to live sort of doing the kingdom life in our own flesh and we'll tear each other up. We will destroy each other. This church will destroy itself. If we're trying to do this in the flesh by our own management and our own cleverness and our own smartness, if we try to do the kingdom life, we'll ruin our families, we'll ruin our lives, we'll ruin our eternity. But if we go to God and we live dependent on our Father together, well, now we have something that binds us together and we will build each other up. We will heal wounds. We will strengthen one another. We won't abandon each other. God is eager to sustain and satisfy our souls. And so let's ask together that He would do that. Which then gets to the substance of the kingdom living. So if that's the source, is this asking, seeking, knocking, because our God is so good, our Father is so good through Christ, then what's the substance? We get to Matthew 7, chapter 12, or Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. There we go. Worded up my screws there. Matthew 7, verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You could translate that so, therefore. This is connected to the ask, seek, knock. You've got this kingdom life you want to live and you can't do it. You now are filled with supernatural power by the Holy Spirit because you keep going to your Father and asking for good gifts. Now, where does that all of that power, all that energy go? How do you live that out? Therefore, since you're going to such a good Father who gives you such good gifts, how should you live? Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You want to just summarize the whole Old Testament? This is really what the Old Testament law is trying to get you to do, right? Stop hurting each other and dishonoring God and start honoring God and serving each other. The Bible's way simpler now, <laughs> right? That's really where this is going. This is often called the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. This principle was stated a number of times by ancient thinkers, rabbis. You find evidence of it in the Old Testament. It was almost always put in the negative, though. Do not do to others what you do not want done to you. It was always put in the negative, like the don'ts. I have a couple of daughters. I won't identify which ones, but one bit the other one one time. And it was really upsetting. And what did I do as a father? Going, Would you like them to bite you? No. Don't bite them, right? Like, we knew that. We know that. That's just like, like decency 101. But Jesus flips it and makes it positive. This isn't just about, hey, don't be jerks to other people. This is about what if 
We were so filled with supernatural power that we were now proactively going after each other with acts of love. Well, that's a whole different thing. The Bible is not just trying to get you to a bunch of don'ts. It's freeing you up to the do's that really matter for eternity. Do So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So since God is the source and the root of kingdom living, the substance or the fruit of that is going to be this creative, loving, other-centeredness. Oh, that's amazing. That's the kingdom. Jesus is summarizing the whole kingdom for us here. All of the rules, all of the laws fall under this. Matthew 22, Jesus is going to say this later. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? There's a whole lot of them. How do I rank them? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You get the whole Bible if you get this. Galatians 5, Paul's going to pick up on this, says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Did you know that? You have a debt to love one another. That's the only thing you should owe. Is, I owe you some love because I have so much from my father. He loves you. He loves me. He gave me a lot of extra love. I'm going to give you some. Right? Owe nothing but a debt of love. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, which are ones that Jesus dealt with earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, saying that you've got to go deeper than just technicalities on those. He says, though those commandments are summed up with this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So what happens when you have a bunch of people who are marked by asking, seeking, knocking, and they've received, they're receiving the Holy Spirit, they're receiving this kingdom life, what happens? All of a sudden, a need out there or some creative idea hits these people who have so much rocket fuel in them, right? So much supernatural rocket fuel that when a need happens, it just explodes in love and service to others. You saw that in the book of Acts. It says there's no need among them. They went and sold their properties and go, hey, I have been asking, seeking, knocking, and I'm just bringing every resource I have. And if there's a need, I want it to go to that need, right? That's what marked the people in Acts. And that's what Jesus is saying marks the people here. I don't know if you saw that video, it kind of went viral, of uh, some, some people that were doing fireworks. And they had a big box next to the car, and they were lighting one, and, and a spark flew off the one and landed in the box of fireworks, and they all went off at once. And it's just like this inferno, just everything. Probably $500 worth of fireworks going off at once. And it was scary, but awesome at the same time. It's like, man, when all of that power, all that powder is sitting there, when a spark hits it, it has an impact. When you have a people who are related to their father in such a way that they're asking, seeking, knocking, and that's just what marks them, then when needs and ministry ideas come, there is so much power that then explodes out of those people. Love, right? So much love that flows out of them that honors our father. What happens when a person... Better yet, a church covenanted together, asks and knocks together, receives, finds, and enters together, filled with supernatural power by the Holy Spirit, hits a need in the world, considerate love, explodes in every direction. Service. What does the Bible call this to look like? Here's just some ideas. One is it's thoughtful, right? What would it be like to be in that person's shoes? And if I was in their shoes, what would they really appreciate a Christian would do for them? I'll do that. Thoughtful. The kingdom citizen is always thinking how he can love and serve others. Because he has so much resources from his father. So it's thoughtful. The, this kingdom citizen is always thinking. Always thinking. So those of us that are preachers, that preach here regularly, we should think regularly of what it's like to sit in those chairs and listen to me preach. <laughs> if I was out there sitting, what kind of sermon would I want to hear? What would I want it to be pointed to, right? That's considerate, right? You, as the people sitting out there, what would help a preacher preach well? Me snoring through the service might not help. Having my Bible open might be encouraging to him. Right? What's it like to be the pastor of this church? What kind of member would, what would my pastor like? That sounds self-serving, but, but go every single direction. Go every single direction. What's it like to, to come to our church 
If, if I was them, where would I want to park? What kind of invitation would I like to take? Well, think about your work. Like, my boss. What's it like to be my boss? What's, what's it like to have to lead me? If I was in his shoes, what would I want from me? Right? The kingdom citizen is just thoughtful in putting himself in other people's shoes and not just thinking like they would, but thinking like they would from a redeemed heart. Like you might have someone who goes, I'm caught in some sort of sexual sin and what I really want is no one to challenge me on it. But in light of eternity, I know that actually when they stand on judgment day, they're going to wish I'd said something. Right? So I'm actually going to do maybe the hard thing occasionally that they may not appreciate in the moment, but actually is what they would really want if they really had the eternal perspective. Does that make sense? So thoughtful. I think the, this is a call to be creative. Whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also for them. So be creative, be imaginative. The kingdom citizen is moving beyond rules and formulas to wide open world of possibilities. How would I like to be loved? And coming up with creative ways to do that based on the power that he's received from God. Proactive. The idea is here, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them. Take the initiative. Proactive. It's James 2 kind of thing. I see a need, I meet a need. So this is a call to be proactive because we're so filled with grace from God. It's self-sacrificial. The kingdom citizen spends themselves in effort and time and resources. And it's a call to love others purely, meaning that we take the transactional nature out of it. Meaning, I would love to have somebody invite me over to dinner, so I'm going to invite them over to dinner. But then I'm kind of sitting back for a month going, they didn't invite me back over. The kingdom citizen rejects that. The kingdom citizen rejects any sort of like reciprocity. Like, that's not necessarily a bad thing in of itself. That's a wonderful thing when people are outdoing each other in love. But that's not why I'm doing it. As if I'm trying to kind of like a quid pro quo. Like, I, I pay you something, you pay me back. No one wants to play that game, right? Actually, what Jesus said back earlier in chapter 5 is that you will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. So actually, the kingdom citizen should expect that most of the time, I'm going to be taken advantage of. Most of the time, I'm going to pour out and I'm not going to get the earthly reward. I'm going to go ahead and invite those people over and then they're going to criticize my house and never invite me to their house. So what? I'm going to my father for resources. I'm not looking for approval from you. But I'm willing to love you and serve you because I have supernatural power from God. Do you see what I'm saying? A love that's pure, that doesn't just do it because other people do it to me, but actually does it because I wish others would do that for me. But I'm not expecting that, which makes it then a genuine act of grace and love. So you could just kind of imagine, what's it like to be a single college woman who finds herself pregnant, walks into a church? What's it like to be her, to walk into a church? What, what would she need? How would she want Christians to treat her? She may not even know what she needs. But what would it look like to come around that, that woman and go, we'll walk with you, we'll help you. We're going to have to say some hard things, but we're also going to help you. What's that like to be the 77-year-old the man whose, whose body is really hurting, struggling, and you're in a church that's mostly young people? What, what would it look like to, to consider it? What would, I, what would I like to see if I was in their shoes? What about your spouse? How would I like to be loved? What's it like to be one of my kids? Like, it can go in so many different directions. Be thoughtful, creative, proactive, self-sacrificial, and pure. That even if it never comes back, even if it makes, your, makes things worse in the temporary, Jesus has a reward for that. Those who, that's what, that which is done in secret, that isn't appreciated in this world, I'll reward you. I'm your good father. I see everything. I give good gifts. I give awesome rewards. So actually, maybe even seek out the things that you won't get a reward for because you want the heavenly rewards, right? So this sense of purity. I think the Good Samaritan is a great example of this in Luke chapter 10. He comes across a man that's in the ditch that's been beat up and is on the verge of dying. And a Levite and a priest, the people who are known, who should, who should know the law the best. But the, law, the, the priest and the Levite, I didn't do it, not my fault. I, I got things, to, like I didn't have it in my calendar, like if this was... My, my time to serve people is Thursday at 6.30. And so if you're still here then, then I'll come help you. Uh, 
I'm looking at my budget, really can't afford. Oh, I can't afford this. Like, so they, they move on. They have things to do. They have religious things to do. But I think the Samaritan comes up. It's a person of a different race. It's a person who's probably mistreated him. The Samaritans were the outsiders. Jewish people didn't treat Samaritans very well. This might be someone who actually maybe didn't even treat the Samaritan very well. And I think the Samaritan just in a moment goes, what's it like to be him? And what would I want someone to do for me? It's not in my budget. It's not in my schedule. But it's kingdom. And Jesus says, who's the real neighbor here? Who's the real kingdom citizen here? It's surprising. Who fulfills the law here? The Good Samaritan does, which is so scandalous. All right, I need to move on. So, so we get this. We get this source of the kingdom life is our good father. The substance is now considerate love on earth in every direction we can imagine. What an open world quest we now have available to us. We could go any direction with this. It's not just the don'ts, it's the do's. All these things that we could be doing, that we could dream up, that we could scheme together, that we could go in great joy and not need anything back from people. We would hope that they would be transformed by it, but that's not why we do it. We do it to please our good Father. And in all this, we should consider Jesus. Think of Jesus. Jesus lived by prayer. You read the Gospels? He lived by prayer. He went to his Father often. In fact, Psalm chapter 2, this is fascinating, Psalm chapter 2, which is a very messianic psalm, it ends with this. This is fascinating to me. Talking about then why the nations rage and God's, God's in heaven and he laughs and, and all this stuff, all of these promises then about a son who will come that will be a king. I will set him on my holy hill. You will be my son. Um, and um, let me see if I can find it. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. So even the son needed to ask the father for the nations. Think about that. You might go, well, if God's so good, why do I have to go to him in prayer all the time? Why don't he just give it to me? Well, even his own son had to go to him. The plan of redemption was accomplished partially because Jesus asks. Jesus ceaselessly prays now. Romans 8 and Hebrews 7 tell us that he is interceding for us right now. So this asking, seeking, knocking lifestyle is really joining Jesus and going to the Father. We get to join him and Jesus is praying full time for us now, sustaining us by prayer. Jesus did what we could not do ourselves. It's almost like the Trinity was up in heaven going, if I was one of those sinners alienated from us, what would I want a God like us to do? And Jesus came, put on human flesh, lived a lowly life, and redeemed us. So this whole do unto others as you would have them do unto you, God himself did that for sinners who didn't deserve it, who didn't even know it, who weren't even desiring it. He went and did this good thing for them. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And God only becomes our Father through Christ, through faith in Christ. He's not the Father of everyone. He's the Father of those who come to Him in faith in Christ, asking, seeking, knocking. In Christ, God literally took upon Himself our position, our neediness, our brokenness, our sin. He came and walked in our shoes and did for us what we could not do. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. This sort of wraps up the sermon a little bit in that he, back in chapter 5, he said that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Then he talks about all this stuff, and now he says, this is what fulfills the law and the prophets. I fulfill the law and the prophets, but also I'm going to fulfill the law and the prophets through you because you're going to come to me for strength and grace, and I'm going to transform your heart and your desires, and I'm going to give you so many opportunities to be hands and feet in the world, and the law and the prophets will be fulfilled in you. I will fulfill it in you, through you. It's a wonderful picture. Let me close. So Jesus is the model of kingdom life. Jesus is the doorway into the kingdom life. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, to fulfill them. That's Matthew 5, 17, and then Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish, do unto others. This is the law and the prophets. And so we come to Jesus as the fulfillment of the law and prophets, as our sufficient Savior brings us into relationship with God. And so the question is, is he your father? 
Do you live this way? Because you can by His strength. A couple applications. First is this. Make God the source of your kingdom life by prayer. And let me get really specific. Like, if you can write this down, this would be wonderful. Read through the Sermon on the Mount at some point this week. Maybe this afternoon. Might cut into your afternoon nap a little bit, but it'll be worth it. Pick two or three things that really convict you. And spend this week repeatedly asking, seeking, and knocking on that subject. For, for, for instance, when he talks about anger in chapter 5, and you go, man, I, I really would like to overcome my anger. I can try to white-knuckle it and just be nicer to people, right? Or, you know what, I'm going to spend some time, God, I'm going to ask you to take away my anger. Help me to seek kindness. And when those doors come, I want to knock on them, I want you to open them for me. Opportunities where I would normally get angry, I want you to open up opportunities for me to defeat my anger. So that might be an example. Read through the Sermon on the Mount and then ask, seek, knock on one thing that comes through. Maybe it's giving, maybe it's praying, maybe it's anxiety. I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek, I'm going to knock for God to give me the resources to do that. And then here's another one. Put forth intentional effort to do a considerate act of love for someone. Here's an example. Pick one neighbor, one coworker, one family member, one church member. Put yourself in their shoes and really think creatively, intentionally, thoughtfully about what it's like to be them, what it is they're going through, what it is that would really encourage them in the Lord. Think it through. If I was them, what would I love for a Christ follower to do for me? What would I love for my husband to do for me? What would I love for my dad to do for me? What would my, the person who works for me, what would they really appreciate? What a fellow church member, pastor, elder, like whatever, just pick someone and really thoughtfully go, what is the good that I would like done to me if I was in their shoes? And then do that thing this week. Write a note, send a text, make an invite, write a letter. Do the dishes. (laughs) Give an encouragement. Be super creative. And I would like to just end with this. What would it look like if our neighborhoods, our families, our workplaces, if even just, what would happen? What would it look like in those places if just a few of us went hard at this? Hard at the supernatural power that God gives, asking, seeking, and knocking for our brothers and sisters, for our neighbors, for God, give us souls, give us conversions. Give us new members. Give us baptisms. Give us... What if we asked, seeked, knocked, went hard, and then in tangible, pure, self-sacrificing, did acts of love? What would happen if like three people in your workplace did that? What if two families did that in a church? Like just went hard after that. I think things would be amazing. What would happen if it wasn't just something we did this week? but actually became who we are. We become askers. We become seekers. We become knockers. We become receivers of God's good gifts, and then we just become creative doers. I have so many ideas on how we could love people. I need to ask God for more time. <laughs> I need to ask God for more resources. I think that if we live this way, we would get tired. I think if we live this way, we'd get taken advantage of. I think if we lived this way, we'd get overlooked. I think if we lived this way, we would get made fun of. I think if we lived this way, we would have less money. We would have to say no to some things that we really like doing. I also think that we would be driven to our Heavenly Father every day because we need Him. I think we'd be driven to our Heavenly Father with opportunities that We don't have the resources to meet, but he does. I think we would be knocking on hard doors. I think we would seek hard treasures. But I think in the midst of that, we'd feel the approval of our Father. 
I think we would rally to each other in encouragement. I think we would see a kingdom expand deeper in our own lives, a deeper provision, a deeper peace, a deeper that the world couldn't explain. We would see a kingdom go wider as people are drawn into the weirdest people they have ever met in their life. Why would anyone try to live this way and then when they see it happening in a community, I don't know that we'd have enough chairs for the people that would want to know why that is. So I mean for this message to be a little bit convicting, but mostly just encouraging. This is the life that we have laying in front of us, and God himself will supply it entirely in and of himself. And so come to him through Christ. Ask, seek, knock. You will receive because he's good. And then we have all this opportunity to go whatever direction to love people. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this passage and the encouragement that it is. Thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. It both crushes us and revives us at the same time. It kills our pride. It kills our self-righteousness. It crushes our uh, abilities to do this in ourself through our own schemes and brings us just so low before your throne, Father. If this is the life that I am called to live, I'm going to need you to do it in me. And so Lord, I pray that you would transform us into seekers, askers, knockers, and that we would be receivers of your grace, of your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that you would give us a thoughtfulness, a proactivity, a creativity, a thoughtfulness. A crea- yeah, um, I'm just repeating them now. <laughs> give us that kind of desire and give us a zeal to want to do that, um, to spend ourselves in ways that, that, um, that matter for eternity. God, we ask for your help in this. Thank you for this sweet verse as we begin to conclude the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for this kind act of grace that that you will do this if we will come to you. So Lord, help us to come to you in this. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.